seasons. How about you? Um, my favorite season is actually winter and fall. Oh, no, boo. Get out of here. Were you born in the winter? No, I was not. I was born in technically because it's West Africa. There's no winter. It's just rainy season and dry season. So I was born during the rainy season. Uh, okay, I see. I see. So you were born in West Africa. Before we get to where you were born, tell me uh, what's your name? Who are you? Uh, so my name is James Alpha Massacre Jr., but I primarily go by my middle name, which is Alpha Massacre. And I am a local Baltimore-based artist. Um, and I am one of the co-founders of Hassal's Art Collective. Where were you born? You mentioned being born in West Africa. Yes, I was born in Liberia, West Africa. Um, and I was born uh, on Bushrod Island. So technically, I'm an island kid. For those who don't know, because I surely don't know, can you talk about Bushbroad Island and what it was like growing up there? Yeah. So um, so a quick history of Liberia is, um, you know, right after slavery, a couple, you know, free slaves decided they want to go back to Africa and purchase the land. Um, they went back home, purchased the land, named it Liberia, which stands for Liberty. Um, and the country uh, has been going through a lot of, um, you know, civil unrest because when the free slaves went back home to establish their homes, uh, they kind of took on the same tradition of white people, you know, enslaving like native uh, folks. So uh, for many parts of my life, you know, I lived through like a couple wars, but when there wasn't any wars, it was like the most beautiful place to be. Um, family, food, um, tradition, music. Um, and everything. Um, it was very beautiful. What was it like for you specifically growing up? Were you old enough to understand the divide between the indigenous uh, people and the Americo-Liberian? You know, as a young kid, you understand a lot of stuff pretty fast. My parents and I was just having this conversation how by the age of six in a household, you already have responsibilities because everything around you is just happening really fast. Um, so it's just that understanding of, you know, your culture, uh, your history, all of that stuff. You know, my dad used to sit us on his lap and, you know, tell us stories. Um, that weren't really stories, but more and more history about the country, histories about, you know, the wars and stuff like that. So um, I pretty much understood what was going on around me at a pretty young age. You mentioned that your dad sat, you said us, uh, mm -hmm. you, have, you have siblings? Yes, I have three siblings. So I am the youngest of four. There's two boys and two girls. My parents have two boys and two girls. So I'm the youngest of four. Yeah. Okay. And then where is the other boy? Is your brother, is he closer in age or is he one of the older ones? He's the oldest. So he is 12 <laughs> years older than me. There's three years gap between all of, all of us. So he's 12 years older than, than me. Uh, and he's currently still in, in, in Liberia because uh, when we were moving here, uh, my dad worked for the U.S. government his whole life. And when he got retired, uh, they retired him over here, but my, for some reason, they said my older brother was too old to come to relocate with us or something like that. I didn't understand the complication of it being like age related. So my older brother stayed back. Um, so he's just home taking care of like family properties and stuff like that. Did he continue in your father's footsteps working for the government? What does he do? Um, he's been going through a lot. My family, we have a very tight bond. So, you know, uh, even though we left, he was a doctor, uh, but just going through that separation, um, it was a lot for him. So right now he's just trying to figure out how to get back 
to a place where, you know, because in Africa is all about honor and name, like who's your father and your father's name. Um, if you saying like Black Panther, they kind of touched on it a little bit. Um, it's not about wealth or, you know, how much money you have in a bank account, but based on like respect and stuff like that. Um, so just getting back to a place where, you know, he's saying as a respectable person. When you were growing up in Liberia and attending school, what was that like for you? And can you talk about maybe some differences that the Liberian school system would have over the American school system? Man, going to school in Africa, and that's all African schools, because we have the same, most West African schools, we have the same uh, system. Um, it's really hard. Like, <laughs> um, you know, if you're learning math, you, you're not allowed to use calculator. You have to remember all of these formulas, you know, memorize all of this stuff. Science is even harder because we don't have textbooks. So you have to take notes in, in, in a, in a notepad and you have to keep tracks of how many notepads you have. <laughs> I have boxes of just notes and stuff because we're pretty much just writing down what's in the books, um, you know, in our notepads. Uh, so it was, it was very challenging. So when I transferred, when I moved here, I moved there in high school, so ninth grade, um, I realized school was easier. However, the uh, the social structure of school was hard <laughs> because it's just like the cool kids and then, you know, everything else about school made school harder because of the social structure. But the educational Part of it was very easy. You know, I understood it from, in, I think it was in sixth grade, we're taking algebra two already. So I was already, you know, already a man when it came to stuff like that. But I struggled in high school because of the social structure, you know, trying to fit into the mode of either you're a cool kid or, you know, you're a nerdy kid. Um, so all of that stuff really like made me slack a little bit in school because I was trying to, like everybody else, fit into something. How's the Liberian social structure? Uh, set up for schools is it based off of just who your family is or is it just based off of, of like who's rich and who's not um i guess it's a little bit of both it's kind of kind of the same as here but based on who's your family and who has money um for me my family name was very well pronounced it still is well pronounced in in, in liberia so um, I didn't have to do much. I was pretty much just writing off my older siblings, glory, uh, <laughs> you know, because we all went to the same school. So, um, and it was a very uh, popular uh, um, uh, a school. So we all went to the same school. Uh, all I had to do was just walk in my sibling shadows. Everyone knew who I was and everyone wanted to be my friends because of my older brother. He, he was really cool or whatever. Um, and my sisters were, you know, well known and everyone, all the girls wanted to be their friends. So all I had to do was not mess that up, but I was that kid. <laughs> I was that kid who was always, you know, just not doing what I was supposed to do. You know, they would tell me, yeah, you got to go and look, uh, you know, you got to iron your shirt. And because we wore uniform that looked like dress clothes and stuff like that. You got to iron your shirt and I'll forget to iron my shirt. So my siblings would be mad. <laughs> like, you on, have man, to you're messing up the brand. <laughs> Right. You have to polish the shoes and my shoes were not polished. So it was just like, yeah, I was like a rebel, but I still benefited from that, that, you know, from whatever they were doing. Yeah. Okay. When you were uh, starting to understand and realize that you were interested in the arts, were you still living in Liberia or had you already moved to the States? And was it difficult to break that news to your parents yeah so my parents uh 
they always knew I was different. Like we have we have a joke in my family where I just did everything opposite of everything. You know, <laughs> I was just like, if you tell me one thing, I'm gonna do the opposite just because. Um, uh, but I started drawing when I was in like Barry, but it wasn't like a serious thing. It was just like, um, like, um, comic books and stuff. I would just do like a, uh, I would redraw stuff I see in comic books. Cause, uh, like I told you, we don't have a lot of resources when it comes to like books and stuff. So when you see a comic book that someone have, uh, if you want to keep, um, that image with you, at least for me. You know, I had to like redraw those images in my notebook just so I have that with me. And even coloring books, like we didn't have the luxury to have many coloring books. So you have to be careful with how you're coloring your coloring books because you want to have access to that later. Or sometimes, you know, like uh, a lot of my coloring books was passed down to me from my older siblings. So I had to redraw the images just to color it in for myself. That's where it all started, but it wasn't anything that I, I thought about. Um, and then um, there was this kid um that we live next to he made a lot of money because biology you have to do like the the anatomy and stuff like that so he would draw the, the human anatomy for people and just put in like the labels and stuff so that was something he made a lot of money doing back home and i was very interested in that i was like well this i, I want to make money too but <laughs> but it wasn't something that was i was serious about you know it was just like one of those things where it's just like how can i make quick money but I was very interested in technology. So we had, we had computers that worked, but sometimes didn't work. So I was always trying to fix them. Um, you know, my mom had a joke that um, I always like to see how the white man made stuff, you know? <laughs> so like I was always breaking stuff and putting them back together and re-engineering stuff. Um, but then when we moved here, um, you know, my grades started to slip and I didn't know what to do uh, because I was trying to fit into, you know, a system. Um, and so I was going through a time where I didn't know who I was anymore. And then one of my teachers, um, actually, um, asked me to be in, in his AP drawing class. And I never really took a drawing class for real for her. So it was kind of like, okay, why not? So and I took that AP drawing class my senior year of high school. And then I realized I really liked this, you know? And then, so, uh, when I was about to go to college, you know, telling my parents that I want to go to college for art wasn't something they understood because my whole life was all about technology and fixing stuff. So my parents, all they, they expected of me was, you know, to be an engineer or even like do computer science or something like that. To this day, they still don't even understand what I do. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What caused that identity crisis? Was it moving from Liberia to the States? I think it was mostly my environment. The whole concept of doing certain things is considered white. Even though we have prejudice back home, like I said, with the division between like the, the natives, Liberian and the American Liberians, but it wasn't to a place where, of course, it got to a place where it was a lot of hate because there was a lot of wars, but I never experienced bullying or anything like that. But it was just like everyone around me didn't really understand their identity and that created environment for me to lose my identity because certain things I was interested in, I was laughed at because it was white, you know, whether it was skating or, you know, not wanting to like sag my pants or stuff like that. And so that environment, you know, I started to do those things too, because that's what everyone else was doing. And it, it didn't feel good, but that's what my friends and everyone told me was okay. With everything that you went through, you know, including the identity crisis kind of slacking off in school and just really doing the opposite 
of whatever your family was telling you. Do you feel like you were able to get away with most of that just because you were the youngest and your parents were just like, all right, look, we, we, we already got three kids. The fourth that's one. Now, my older brother had a lot of pressure. And he graduated high school at 16, finished college before he was 20. So he had a lot of pressure on him. And my sister, the one that's next to me, she did the same thing too. Graduated high school by the age of 16. So they had... They had a lot of pressure on them. Um, but however, my family compared to most African families are very liberal. Most African families would tell their kids what to study and, you know, who to date or who to even marry. But my family is just like, you make your choice. And if we don't agree with that choice, we'll try to sway you. But if not, you know, even though that sounds crazy, but that, that's super liberal for most African families. Yeah. I had piercing in, in college. And when my other brother got piercing, man, this man was 20 and my mom still smacking Brad. <laughs> like he got a beating for getting earrings. And when I got earrings, all I got was, bro, you look like a girl. That's all I got. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Your brother was mad about that one. Oh yeah, nah. He was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> so in a previous response, you talked about uh, going to college. You moved to the States from Liberia around high school age. Uh, where'd you end up going to college? I went to Towson, but I did two years at PG Community College, and then I ended up going to Towson, um, and I enjoyed my time at Towson. What about at uh, PG Community College? What was that like for you? Uh, it was it was interesting because when I was there, I think I tapped into art more and more into the art history uh, area of just like absorbing as much as I can uh, because at PG Community College. Um, I feel like the history that we learn or I learned at PG Community College was more diverse. Um, and so I absorb a lot of uh, art about, you know, African-American black artists, you know, artists from all over and not just, you know, like the regular run of the mid white man, what I learned in Towson. But, it, you know, I felt like my time at, at PG Community College really prepared me more for what I was getting at Towson. Around the time that you were in community college and then you went to Towson, because mm -hmm. I'm not really sure how old you are, mm -hmm. when did you see or experience the shift in just like black culture in the black community? Like I'm 31. When mm -hmm. I was in like middle school, high school, it was um, you know, early 2000s. And back then being African wasn't cool, but now yeah. being African, yeah. Yeah, nah. <laughs> what was that like for you? Man, high school, bro. High school was a nightmare. So I graduated high school 2013. Um, and that was when it was still wasn't cool to be African. Um, so like I said, I experienced a lot of prejudice and a lot of bullying just because, you know, I was African. And most people thought that we were poor because we were African. But when I got to college, it wasn't much of a problem of you being African, but now it was like a problem of me being black. You know, <laughs> and it was a problem of me being a dark skinned six foot male, you know, like um, and of course, I never really experienced. I mean, a few times experienced racism directly to me, uh, but a few times that I did, it was just like, what the hell is this? You know, like, excuse my language, but it was just like, man, this sucks. Like nobody want to feel this way, even though, like I said, I got bullied a lot for being African. Um, I started to experience that before I actually got to Towson. I remember we had a family gathering and a cousin and my and I when um a cousin of mine snuck out to do some, you know, stuff that we weren't supposed to be doing and the cops pull up and was just like, 
you guys are not supposed to be here. And someone call the cops saying that you guys are vandalizing people's homes, even though we're just sitting in the park. And I remember the cop was telling my little cousin to say that I touched her inappropriately. And she was looking at him like, bro, this is family, you know? So it was just one other situation. And, you know, I could hear them, you know, they separated us and I could hear them. And I was just looking and I was just like, man, my life is over. And that, this was happening um, the year Freddie Gray got killed. Um, so that was 2015. That was the year I transferred to Towson. So right before I transferred to Towson, that was the very first time I experienced something like that. And I was just sitting there. I was like, man, I'm dead. <laughs> if they take me into custody, like, all right, it's, it's over. And, and what happened at the end of that interaction? I'm sure your cousin was just like, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, she just, we, we just awkwardly went back to the party and never spoke of it again. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the first time. I mean, a couple of friends knows about this, but like I've never told my family or anything. Yeah. Hopefully they don't listen to this podcast episode. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. My parents will be freaking out. <laughs> yeah. Even, even though it happened um, a few years yeah. back, it's always stuff like that where parents are. Uh, yeah. Like you said, they just, they'll just be freaking out about it. What did you major in when you were at Towson? I study uh, visual art and a concentration in painting, drawing and printmaking. Um, so from uh, most of my time that I spent in like uh, printmaking or painting studio, yeah. What was it about printing, I'm sorry, painting and printmaking that uh, uh, attracted you to it? Do you feel like that's the best way that you can express yourself? Um, honestly, um, and this just goes back to art history, you know, like paintings are seen as like the most or the best kind of art is glorified. You know, a lot of paintings are so for thousands of dollars, millions of dollars, where as other forms of art are not, you know, celebrated as much as it used to, you know, uh, as much as painting does. Uh, but now I feel like it's an even feel um, kind of, that's what really attracted me. And just like the stories of like painters, you know, how, you know, our history kind of romanticized, like these painters, they, they seem like superheroes, uh, the stuff they were doing. Sometimes these guys were like party for three nights straight and go into that studio and make some amazing paintings or some of these guys would just go in the middle of the Amazon, even though we found out that story was a lie, go in the middle of the Amazon and make these wonderful paintings about the culture and stuff like that. You know, so it, it felt like you were reading about, uh, about these uh, fantastic uh, people and they were primarily painters. You didn't read a lot about, um, you know, um, other medium and artists doing like these crazy stuff like that. So I wanted to be a painter so bad. <laughs> and I'm not one of those people who've been drawing and painting since we were kids. I, I really got serious about it my high school uh, senior year. So it was endless, endless hours of just putting work. I wasn't like partying on that thing in college. I wasn't like hanging out with people. It was just mostly in my studio trying to perfect my craft. Yeah. When you were in college, the subject matter that you were painting and uh, and I guess printing, did it relate to um, I guess your your life and experiences as West African? And did you get pushback from that? Because at the end of the day, like Towson is a PWI, so I do right. feel like they have a pretty big, big black population. Black, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, did you ever experience like any pushback from teachers? Actually, I've never experienced it, but I know a few people who have. Um, but my time at Towson, Towson changed like drastically. I feel like Towson, um, especially the art building and the art teachers are very well cultured. Um, 
So I didn't really experience pushback. It was more, you need to dive more into this, you know? Um, like it got to a point where I was just like, I don't want to paint my family or I don't want to, you know, talk about my history anymore. But um, I have people that I know who went to Towson before me or even during the time I was who experienced um, something that wasn't very pleasant. But my professors that I had, um, you know, even it was just me talking about my family, they took their time to understand. And I don't know what happens behind the scene, but when I was present, they took their time to understand and even give me props um, and try to, you know, be more um, inclusive to a point where it was just sometimes I was like, you guys are trying a little too hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's always that weird, like fine line. Yeah. Like non POC. Yeah. Um, walk sometimes where it's just like, look, I, you don't have to, you don't have to do this every time we talk. Like we right. can just, you know, be here. Yeah, right. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, Most times I was the only male and the only black person in the room. So it was just like, yeah. So you could tell that, that I need to, you know, diversify this conversation, but a lot of that stuff never really phased me. Uh, sometimes it would just go over my head because I wasn't really raised here. So it would be like days after I'm like, oh, that's what that was. Yeah. That's interesting. I've heard that before. Um, Did did you ever have a situation where somebody was just like, yo, like you're supposed to be offended by that. And you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. No, all the time, literally all the time. (laughs) I'll go home and I'm like, oh, I can see how that's offensive. Like, uh, or I was just like, dang, I should have gotten mad. But like, it just goes over my head because it's just like a lot of, a lot of stuff I'm learning now. So it's just like, yeah, it happens all the time. When did you graduate from Towson and how long was it after graduating that you got the idea to start an arts collective? So I graduated from Towson in 2019 and right when I graduated, that's when I decided we need to do, uh, we need to create Hassle. So um, like I said, uh, I learned a lot about our history um, and what I took from our history instead of romanticizing it, I took stuff um, I, I learned their flaws and what did they write and try to apply it to my own career. Um, so one thing I noticed was a lot of artists, they created movements or even were successful by working with other artists, um, you know, by creating something together. And it didn't have to be their sharing of painting. Um, it was all about, you know, I can share my idea with this person and that person can, um, sorry, my dog. No, <laughs> and this person can... This person can, um, you know, share the same idea with me um, and we can take that idea and go further. So when I graduated from from college, um, I had my friends, we all like hung out at the same place. Um, my apartment, we played Uno all the time. So um, I was just like, we should create a, a, a collective or a group and apply for gallery shows together. You know, that's more opportunity for curators and organizations to see all four of our work. So if I apply, you know, they can see the three of our work. And if you apply, they can see all of our works. So we uh, we did that. The first place we applied to was Creative Alliance and, you know, working with Thomas and that 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 happened right away. So, um, yeah, that, that was where it started from. Oh, that's dope. Um, yeah. Shout out to 
Thomas James too. He's yeah. definitely trying to. Um, man. He sees the vision. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I, I interviewed him as well, <laughs> listening to him talk. Yeah. Like, oh, this he, yeah. he has a, he has a vision. He has a plan. Can you talk to me about some of the exhibitions that Hot Sauce has organized, and and also why name the collective Hot Sauce? So um, why name the collective Hot Sauce? So. Um, just understanding the art space is very uh, boring. You know, everyone has these very, like, try to sound very deep or try to, like, you know, do something unique, quote-unquote unique. So we were, we were trying to think about artsy name, uh, you know, and I just got upset, and I was just like, mm, no, hot sauce. It was, like, one of those random things in a group chat, and I was like, no, nah, we're, we're hot sauce. And so, uh, you know, the group didn't agree with the name or anything like that. I just kept pushing it on us until um, I, when I graduated from Towson, I was a part of a group show at City Hall B19 uh, with Monica. And so when we did like a press release or something like that, I just put it out there. I was like, hey, you know, I'm here with my collective. You know, we started this collective and we're called Hot Sauce. And that's how I stuck. But <laughs> they weren't rocking. <laughs> they weren't rocking with that name. <laughs> um, <laughs> but now it's very catchy because I can go to a show and that's how we, we got, you know, a lot of people attention, which is like, have you heard of hot sauce? And people are like, what is hot sauce? And now is an opportunity to talk about, you know, us as a collective and talk about, all right, it's a marketing genius move, I think, from my perspective, you know, but um, <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, talk, talk a little bit about some of the other uh, exhibitions that you, that Hot Sauce has organized. So uh, when COVID happened, just saying, because we went from trying to, we went from trying to, um, trying to get into galleries to creating our own space. So when COVID happened, we saw we saw the opportunity to level the art playing field because a lot of times everyone is in their own little space. So if uh, artist does like abstract stuff or contemporary stuff, they'll show in contemporary gallery. And that's the only audience that, that will see their work. And if the artists do representation stuff, you know, they're showing in like poetry galleries and, you know, nobody really makes kind of like, you know, Baltimore East and West and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And it's not verbal beef, but they are low key beefing. So, um, you know, um, so hot sauce saw the opportunity to just be like, you know, we can bring everyone together and make it more uh, accessible for everyone else, especially here in Baltimore. There's a lot of beautiful art in the city, but you know, like the regular person on the street don't know, you know, to go to this gallery or that gallery to experience it. So we decided we wanted to create something that everyone can, uh, um, get access to. So we created the outdoor galleries. We started with Art in August, partnering with OPA. And then we went on to create our own thing in, in October, which is Arttober, uh, where we had music, we had food, kind of like a mini festival. It was very, um, very live. A lot of people came out and they, they were safe, socially distanced. It was outside, like parks and stuff like that. And, you know, we worked with some amazing artists throughout the city. And it, it was so successful. We had um, Mayor Young at that time, Mayor Young and Mayor Brandon Scott came out to support, um, you know, media coverage and stuff like that. But um, even though that's not what we're, we're aiming for, but just seeing the city, you know, uh, embracing us at the same time was very something that we appreciate. Now we just completed a project with the Fair Housing Office, which is uh, just to get people to be aware of the fair housing here in Baltimore. And and, and, you know, just educate people on fair housing. That's something that I wanted to uh, to follow up on 
with the events that you organized during COVID, I think that for a lot of industries, you know, the pandemic has been bad, but it's also shown a lot of people in industries that, you know, the old gatekeepers and institutions, like you don't really, you don't really yeah. need them. Um, yeah. So do you think that once the pandemic is over and things are back to normal, as, as normal as they can be, do you think that in Baltimore's art scene, the institutions and current gatekeepers are really going to have that same level of power or will audiences just start to seek art where the artist is, you know, whether it's at like the why not lot or whether it's under the JFX? I honestly, I believe, you know, the gatekeepers are losing their power. However, it's up to, you know, uh, like individuals like us to take that power back because a lot of times, a lot of people do not know that they can just do it for themselves. Even before COVID, I didn't know I could like do something like this, you know? So it's just understanding, like understanding. Cause a lot of times what I'm learning now, a lot of times the gatekeeper, the gates they're keeping doesn't lead to anything. You know, it's just like empty promises. <laughs> damn right. <laughs> that's the, damn that's right. the crazy part is just like, they're, they're keeping a gate that doesn't lead to anything. So if you ask the right questions and you, you meet the right people, you know, it doesn't matter if we're in COVID or not. Um, you know, instead of waiting for someone to put you on, I think that's where the mindset needs to be changed. Um, so after COVID, you know, if you are waiting for someone to put you on, then you're giving back the power to the gatekeepers. Mm, I definitely agree. So we're going to start wrapping up here. These two mm -hmm. questions I always ask to my guests. Uh, first, what's coming up next for you and for Hot Sauce? And second, how can people get in touch if they want to learn more about you or learn more about Hot Sauce? Okay. For me personally, I'm working on a solo show this year. Nothing approved yet, but I'm just making like the body of work to do a second solo show. And Hot Sauce, well, we're working a lot, a lot of stuff. Uh, we currently have a raffle that's going on right now. Um, if you purchase a, a, a ticket, uh, which is 75 or $100. If you purchase a ticket, you can get a chance to win uh, original artwork for, from me and another artist called uh, Raquel. And my art costs like $3,000 to $6,000 and we're hey. between that range. So, so $100, that's like, you know, that is a come up for real, for real. And if you do not win, you know, a work, uh, a, a, the work that's in a raffle, you get a chance to win an original print from another member of Hassos, which is Italo. Um, so there's still a chance of you winning something. Um, and then Hassles is planning on, you know, um, our next pop-up shows, which will be in August and October, respectively, again. Um, and we're working on some really interesting partnership that would make um, these pop-up shows, like, really, really amazing. Um, so that's what's coming for Hassles. If you're interested in checking in, uh, checking uh, Hassles art uh, out, you can go to uh, our Instagram, which is, uh, let me pull that up right now. Uh, it is, I think it's Hot Sauce Art, Artist Collective, I believe, if I'm not wrong. Um, yeah, it's hot, it's hot on the school sauce art. Um, and you'll see like peppers um, for our logo. And if you want to go to our website, it is hotsauceartistcollective.com. And you can check me out. My Instagram is art underscore nerd 19. Um, yeah, you check out my page and what I'm up to. I'm usually, you know, trying to be a real person on there because I feel like artists, <laughs> it's just the art on there. Um, I try to be a real person you know, on my Instagram. Yeah. Uh, is there anything that you want to talk about that we haven't already gone over? Awesome. Well, Mr. Alpha. Yes. Co-founder 
of hot sauce, Liberian. Do you, do you identify as a Liberian or Liberian American? Like what, what would I, be correct? Honestly, it doesn't matter to me because um, my ancestors are from here because I am, I am technically half American Liberian and half, you know, indigenous Liberian. So um, honestly, it, <laughs> it doesn't matter, but uh, I identify as a person. But <laughs> being Liberian, I love my culture as being Liberian. Um, and I have an identity of being a Black American. So, uh, you know, I try not to divide those two things. One more question. Mm-hmm. Was the island culture different from like the mainland Liberian culture? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't know because I didn't really leave the island that much because um, I was a kid. But when I did, uh, we went to school. So I don't know. Maybe my parents um, have a different perspective, but. I would think so, you know, because, you know, um, even though it, it is the only and the biggest island in Liberia, um, but I think it was a little, uh, everyone was a little like leisure uh, minded, you know, everyone was just chill, get your hammock, you know, no one was, I mean, people was really working hard, but, you know, leisure was like on top of your list. It wasn't like, I'm gonna work nine to five today. Nah, it's like, how can I how can uh, I relax? <laughs> right, right. I'm gonna. Yeah. I think I'm gonna come in at ten and leave at. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's like <laughs> let me know what time I can actually come because it is like traffic is ridiculous back home. So you know, people believe you. You have like some crazy lives. Like yeah, the traffic was six hours. That's why I'm showing up like two hours before we clock out. So yeah, that's fair. That's fair. All right, man. Well, once again, I really appreciate you um, sitting down with me. I, I also really apologize for not following up on the initial email that you sent me yeah. like the last yeah. few months were just super busy, but I appreciate you holding me to it and following, uh, following yeah, back up sure. with me. For sure. Now, thank you for the opportunity, man. I appreciate you. And I, I check out your, your podcast often. So I appreciate you. Mm-hmm.